0: Uh, if you've not received the notes, they should be in your bulletin. But if you've not received a bulletin or the notes are not in there, you can raise your hand and the ushers will get you the notes if you need that. Just raise your hand and patiently they'll uh, go right to you to give you the notes. And we're going to be studying Isaiah chapter 40 and Jeremiah chapter 9. All right? Isaiah chapter 40 and Jeremiah chapter 9. We start a new series this morning called Behold Your God. And uh, it's a series I'm excited about and uh, very uh, excited about what I'm learning uh, through studying the scriptures and, and, uh, and beholding the God of the Bible. And I hope that you'll be blessed by this series. I hope you'll be encouraged by it and challenged by the word of God uh, this morning. So Isaiah chapter number 40, and as you're uh, turning there, or I believe they might be on the screens, Isaiah 40 verse number 9 is what we'll be. And then Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 And uh, 24. Uh, But as we're uh, turning in our Bibles, I do want to just mention uh, quickly uh, that uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the ministry that we have going on at Evans Juvenile Center, there's a few of the men here at the church that we uh, go once a month. We do a chapel, we preach uh, to the uh, young people that are there. It's uh, young people ages 13 to 18 that have committed uh, a federal crime and uh, they're there in that juvenile center, and we go once a month to share with them uh, in a chapel service the, uh, the truths of God's Word, and then every week we have some of the men that go and do Bible studies uh, with those. It's a volunteer thing, so you just go into the dormitory there, and you ask any of the kids that would like to join you for a Bible study, and uh, we have some of the men that do that, but uh, the one that started that ministry, his name is Brother David Shufelt, and uh, uh, he is... Um, Battled cancer twice now, and, and uh, even the second time he just came out, and looks like he is cancer-free again, praise the Lord. Uh, but of course, it's taken a toll on his body. And so uh, he's, uh, he's really passed on that uh, ministry really to uh, Brother Petro Vasquez here at the church and to us, and, uh, and he asked me if, if we'd be willing to take that ministry, and I was more than happy to do that. And, uh, and so we're calling this, this new ministry Operation Joseph. And one of the things that we're doing is that now, uh, Brother Dave uh, Shufelt, every time that the, uh, the kids, there's a Bible program that's connected with this ministry. Not only do we do Bible studies and preach in chapel every month, but they also have a, a, a Bible study program that they can do by mail. And so they receive a booklet. They read the booklet, answer the questions, and then return the answers to, uh, to the ministry to Brother Schufelt. He grades them, corrects anything that maybe they, uh, they didn't understand or need, and then he re- sends them the next book. And, and that way, at the end of uh, a year or two, if they continue those booklets, they can uh, receive a, c- a certificate, uh, almost like a discipleship program that they're following and, uh, and now it's going to be something that we can do here from the church. And so uh, Brother Schufeld has uh, we've, we've moved all the material here now uh, to the back area behind the baptistry. And uh, part of this ministry is going to be sending out those booklets to the kids that are filling them out and, and trying to help these, uh, these young people uh, get to know what the Word of God says and, and share with them the truths of God's word. And so uh, this, this uh, ministry is something that's very new. And if you'd like to be a part of it, we, we need as much help as we can get just to sort it out and, and uh, know who has received what booklet. And uh, and it's something that you don't have to go to the to the place there. Uh, it's a uh, guys-only uh, juvenile center, and so uh, girls are not allowed to go and, and do any kind of Bible studies or anything like that. But this is a way that you can get involved and be a part of that ministry and be a blessing to to young men that really need more than anything the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need their lives to be changed by what only the Bible can do and only Jesus Christ can do. So I hope you'll consider being a part of that ministry. I hope that you'll just at least think about it. You can go by the Information Center. There is a sign-up sheet there. You can sign up your name. And we'll be having a meeting shortly for those that sign up and explain a little bit more in detail what that would entail but I hope you'll, you'll consider that, because uh, if it wasn't for someone giving of their time to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to you or to your family, I don't know where you would be or where I would be. I'm thankful for that person, and I don't know who it is. I'm, I'm sure I'll meet him in heaven that gave my grandfather just a track, and he read that track after uh, some time he got home, and he, he opened it up, read the track, and, and was saved because of that. So there is power just in a little booklet that has the truth of God's word in it. And uh, and I hope you'll consider being a part of that. And maybe you can affect someone else's grandchildren because of your faithfulness and giving God's word to someone that truly needs it. So uh, I just wanted to mention that to you. Like I said, after the service in the Information Center, I hope you'll go by and and sign up for that ministry. Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse number 9 says this way, O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Now look at Jeremiah chapter number 9. Jeremiah chapter number 9. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah came a few years after Uh, The prophet Isaiah ended his ministry, and much of his message was the same. And I want you to notice what Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. He says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me." that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight saith the Lord. We want to study what that truly means to behold our God. In the next few weeks I hope you'll join us in this journey as we take a really close look at who the God of the Bible is. Do you know who the God of the Bible is? And I hope that you'll join us throughout these weeks and especially starting off this series this morning to behold your God in your life. But before we do that and study these passages, let's pray and ask God for His help and guidance. Father, this morning, I thank You for just allowing us this morning to be able to study Your Word. Oh, Father, what a blessing it is this morning to be able to have the copy of God's Word in our hands, to be able to read it and to have access to it. Thank you for the fact that we live in a country that allows us the freedom to worship you. And Father, this morning as we study this passage, as we study both of these passages and, and begin to truly dissect and t- to digest what exactly that phrase means to behold our God, I pray that, first of all, your Spirit would fill me That I might be able to communicate your truth rather clearly, that we would understand it this morning, and then that we would also apply it into our hearts. Father, I pray that your spirit would take control now of this time in the service and that we would be able to uh, have our minds focused on you this morning. Put away any distraction, I pray, that would take us away from what you want us to hear. And Father, if there be anything in this message that you would have me not say, I pray that by your Spirit, you'd lead me not to say it. But everything that your Spirit has laid on my heart to say, I pray that you would give me freedom to to say it. And Father, that it would be something that we could apply into our lives even this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear calling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me and He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy we share as He tarry there None other has ever known He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet, the birds hush the singing, and the melody he gave to me within my heart is ringing, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, And the joy we share as we tarry there None other has ever known I'd stay in the garden with him Though the night around me is falling But he bids me go through a voice of woe His voice to me is calling And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known.
0: Well, the book of Isaiah is a book in which the prophet Isaiah records what God has told him to preach to the nation of Israel. As Isaiah is writing this book, you'll find, especially in the first 39 chapters, a a message somewhat of judgment. You see, uh, during part of Isaiah's ministry, and really during much of Isaiah's ministry, Israel has begun its decline. It is no longer a nation that is morally right in its values, its spiritual truths are starting to sort of fade away into just sort of a religious thing to do. Isaiah begins to preach to the people about their sin and the path that they are taking. Isaiah begins to let them know that the fact that just because uh, they are the people of Israel and just because God has helped them in the past does not mean that they are going to be saved from the wrath to come if they continue in their moral decline, in their spiritual decline, in the way that they're going away from God. So much of Isaiah's Ministry and much of the messages that he was preaching were messages of judgment. But when you read Isaiah chapter number 40, you find that there is a new message. You see, the Lord begins to speak to Isaiah and to give him a new message to preach, a message not of judgment, but a message of hope. A message of what God will do after the judgment is over. It's a message that was going to bring joy to the hearts of the people of Israel. And as you read Isaiah chapter 40, you see this message. You see the encouragement that Isaiah begins to give to the people. He's, he's speaking to those that were going to be captive in Babylon, that were going to be coming back to the promised land. And he wants to give them a message that will encourage them, a message that will uplift them. And so when you get to verse number nine in Isaiah chapter 40, you see really the introduction of this message. You see what this message is all about. And he tells them, listen, uh, in Jerusalem, there's going to be great tidings. You see, this prophecy has not yet been fulfilled, but it's going to be when the Messiah comes and saves the people of Israel from certain destruction. So Isaiah tells them, listen, there's going to be a day in Jerusalem once again when there's going to be great tidings, there's going to be great news and, and you're going to want to shout it out. You're going to want to let everybody know that this king, this Messiah is coming to save that people. He says, you're going to look up Jerusalem and you're going to shout and say, look it, behold your God. See the Lord God, the one that is going to save us, the one that is going to change us. You know, that word, behold, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It means to perceive through sight or apprehension, to gaze upon. You find as you read the beginning of this new message that Isaiah tells the people of Israel. Here's what I want you to know as I start this. Look, behold your God. The good news is this. Listen, you got to behold your God. Look at what God is going to do. Look at who God is. And if you read the rest of Isaiah chapter 40, you'll find that Isaiah begins to describe this God, this King, this Savior, this one that was going to bring good news and great tidings and great joy to them as a nation. So we find that the word behold really means to perceive or to gaze upon. Isaiah says, I want you to see who God is. In this series, it's going to be our journey to really see who God truly is. You know, in Washington, D.C., in 2007, there was a social experiment that was attempted by the Washington Post. There was a man that uh, was sent to play a violin, and he played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, approximately 2,000 people went through the station, and most of them on their way to work and things like that. After three minutes of playing, a middle-aged man noticed that there was a musician playing. Finally, somebody even noticed him. And he slowed his pace a little bit, stopped for a few seconds, But then he continued on his way to his scheduled meeting. After four minutes of playing, the violinist received his first dollar. A woman threw money in the hat and without stopping, just continued to walk. After six minutes of playing on the violin, a young man leaned against the wall to listen to him, then looked at his watch and started to walk again. Ten minutes after beginning to play, a three-year-old boy stopped, but his mother tugged him along and hurriedly got to the next station there and the kid stopped to look at the violinist again but the mother pushed hard as the child continued to walk turning his head all the time and this action was repeated several times as that child kept trying to look and look at the violinist and and the mother just kept tugging along saying we got we got things to do 45 minutes after he started to play the musician played continuously Only six people stopped and listened for a short while. About 20 gave money but continued to walk at their normal place. The man collected a total of $32. After an hour, he finished playing and silence took over. No one even noticed. No one applauded. There was no recognition given to him. And of all those 2,000-plus people that walked by, no one knew this, but the violinist was a man by the name of Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world at that time. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before the Metro Station performance, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where each seat averaged $100 this is a true story that happened. See, Joshua Bell was playing incognito in the metro station, and this was all organized by the Washington Post just as a part of a social experiment to see what the perception of the people was going to be at the world's greatest musician and violinist playing these Bach pieces and see Who would stop and who would care? Who would just perceive who it was that was playing and what was being played? You know, so many times in our lives, we're like those 2,000 people on that metro station that day in January. God is doing a great work, and God is trying to show himself to us in our lives as someone that is real, as someone that wants to do something great in our lives, and we're walking by like he's not even there. We're not perceiving who God truly is. In this passage, I want you to turn now to Jeremiah chapter 9. I want you to notice that Jeremiah the prophet, who came after Isaiah's ministry, had much of the same kind of messages. But he also had messages of hope for the people. Jeremiah was living in a day when his society was rotting. In fact, it would be during Jeremiah's ministry that Babylon would actually come and conquer and do what the prophet Isaiah had predicted before him. It's amazing that if you get... Isaiah's ministry and his was probably about 40 to 50 years of preaching. And then you go to I, uh, Jeremiah's uh, ministry and he was probably another 30 or 40 years of his preaching. There was probably close to 80 or 90 years that God had people coming, his prophets coming to the people of Israel and saying, We need to change your ways. You need to change your ways. The way you're going is a way that's going to bring God's judgment and God's wrath upon us. God's going to send a people to conquer us. We need to change. But even in Jeremiah's day, the people said, we will not walk therein. They said, yeah, yeah, there is a God, I hear you, but we don't have really a lot of time for him. Yeah, yeah, that God that you preach of, Jeremiah, he seems a little bit too narrow-minded. He seems like a little bit too strict. I mean, I imagine that God would be much more loving and open. And the God that you're preaching about, Jeremiah, the God that Isaiah was preaching about years ago, you know, it just seems like it's not for our day. Uh, Where is the message that uh, might say that we're going to be okay? Everything is going to be okay. You see, Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet that was preaching in his day, and Isaiah wasn't the only prophet. There were other prophets that were saying, hey, it's okay. It's not that bad. Hey, uh, listen, we have the temple in Jerusalem, We have our religious ceremonies. It's going to be okay. God would never let someone come and conquer us. We're God's chosen people. Uh, Judgment isn't going to come to us. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know what nation we are? Don't you know what God has done? Uh, Listen, nothing's going to happen. And many of them did not want to follow the message that God wanted them to hear. Many of them did not want to perceive God for who he was. And in fact, in one of those messages, Jeremiah writes this, what he writes in verse 23 and 24 of Jeremiah chapter 9. He says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, and let not the rich man glory in his riches. There are three realities about beholding our God that I want to share with you from this passage. There are three realities that Isaiah wanted the people of his day to understand, that Jeremiah wanted the people of his day to understand, and that I believe that God wants us to understand here in our day. The first reality that I see here is the priority of beholding God, of perceiving Him, of gazing upon who God is, the priority of that. You see... In Isaiah's day, as in Jeremiah's day, it was easy to trust and depend and to perceive upon other things than God. It was easy to sort of lean upon and think about other things other than what really God has for them. The word here, glory, means to celebrate or to praise. There in verse number 23, God says, let not the wise man glory. That means to celebrate, to praise his own wisdom. The people of Israel were glorifying themselves in what they had. The priority wasn't really what God says. It was what I think. Notice, first of all, in the priority of beholding Him, that we must avoid a man-centered life. Jeremiah mentions this. He says, listen, let not God has said, let not the wise man glory in His wisdom or in His might or in His riches. You see, Scripture teaches that a man-centered life is one that will celebrate one's own self. That's what it means to be selfish. That's what it means to be egocentric or man-centered. The three areas given here are wisdom, might, and riches. The word wisdom means to come from experience or special abilities. That's what the word wisdom there. He says, uh, so let not uh, that man, the, uh, God says, don't let him glory in his own little experiences. And what he feels are his special abilities. In other words, people were glorying in the fact that they knew uh, from what they were doing and from what they experienced, what they were going to do. In other words, people were saying to Isaiah, Hey, Isaiah, how long have you been preaching that message that something's going to happen? Has it happened? Oh, yeah, Babylon's going to come and conquer us. Where's Babylon. When is this going to happen, Isaiah? You've been preaching for 40 years. Nothing's ever happened. Hey, Jeremiah, you've got 20 years preaching this message. Where are they? Listen, I've been around long enough. I've seen, listen, Babylon's not going to do anything. Many in their day were saying, I've been around long enough. I know what I've experienced. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to be okay. Makes me wonder, does that not sound like many in our world today? Uh, That Bible, it's a little old-fashioned. That message, it's a little worn out, isn't it? I don't think God would be exactly like that. I've been around. I've raised three kids. I know what it means. Hey, I've been around. I've had these jobs. Hey, I've got the experience. You say they were living in a man-centered life, one that only relies on what they think they know. That's why Proverbs twelve or fourteen twelve says, "There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death." If they would have just opened a little bit of what Solomon said, they would have known. Hey, I can't rely just on what my experience tells me. Then. There were those that were glorying or celebrating or praising their might. Might, uh, that word means strength in battle or warrior-like. They thought, look at how many times, hey, we got away from Egypt. They were the world power. You remember that back in the years with with Moses? Hey, do you remember in Joshua? We conquered these people in this land. Nobody's going to come and conquer us. Uh, Don't you know what kind of military might we have? I mean, come on. God's talking about being conquered. Come on. We're not going to be conquered. Look at our might. And God said, let not the wise man glory in his might, in the strength of what he thinks is his warrior-like battle. Doesn't it sound like much of today? Those that want to depend on their own kind of strength, those that would say not in america we're the world's leading military no one tells us what to do listen i i'm about as red-blooded american as they can as they come i love america i really do i weep when i see the flag i i weep when i hear the stories of those that sacrifice so much for this nation and I think that's why it breaks my heart a little bit more to see the path that we're going on, because there's so many that think, well, that's not going to happen in America. Yes, we're morally declining. And yes, we're spiritually declining, but hey, we were founded upon Christian principles. And God would not let that happen here in America. But God says... Don't glory in your might. Just like in Isaiah and Jeremiah's day, there were those that were glorying their riches. That word simply means their wealth. They boasted about the fact that they were secure no matter what may come. Yeah, maybe Babylon tries to attack us or maybe somebody else tries to come and get us, but listen, I got, I got my, my, my piggy bank and it's pretty full. I'll be okay. I can survive it. I'll have the money I need. I have the, I'll have the, the food I need. I, I'll get through this time. We go through a, re- a recession or depression. That might affect a lot of other people. But it ain't going to affect me. I got my riches. I'll be okay. Many in Jeremiah's day and Isaiah's day thought the same. Many of the leaders there thought that way. Zedekiah the king in Jeremiah's day when Babylon came and actually conquered them thought the same thing. He thought, I'll be spared. I'll be okay. You read his story, you find that Babylon marched his children right in front of him and cut them to pieces right before his eyes. I can't even imagine that. I can't even imagine somebody taking Elijah and taking a sword and just chopping him up in front of me. I can imagine the the pain. I can imagine I'd be yelling and screaming and 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 going crazy. And after that, they took Zedekiah and they plucked his eyes out. And then they dragged him like a dog on a chain back to Babylon. He thought, I don't want to happen to me. I'm the king, there's riches here. Uh, We got the, the strongest might. Man, I've been around a while. I've been ruling for nine years now. Nothing's happened. I remember my grandfather. And I remember Isaiah saying the same thing and nothing happened. Do you know what the king never did? He never made the priority God in his life. It was a man-centered life. I want you to notice that a priority of God in our life means that we need to live a Christ-centered life. The priority of beholding God is actually making God the center of our life. You'll notice in verse number 23 that the prophet Jeremiah contrasts this with what he said in verse, 20, uh, in verse 23, contrasts what he says uh, there. Uh, verse 24 says, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. The prophet contrasts that life and attitude with the right perspective and the right priority, saying, here's what you ought to trust in. Here's what you ought to glory in, if you will. This is what you ought to praise and celebrate that you understand and know me. Today, we also must learn to live in a Christ-centered life. I feel so many times that as Christians, we don't have Christ as the center of our life. And, and I meant to do this on the PowerPoint, but we couldn't get it done. But I want you to think of maybe of a pie chart, you know, like a pizza. And in the center of that pizza, a circle that says Jesus Christ. And if he's in that center of that circle, then everything else that's touching that circle is affected by that. He, he, he touches every other area. And a Christ-centered life is a life where Jesus Christ can touch every area of our life. He touches the way that we talk. He touches the way that we act at work, what we talk about at work. He he, he affects the decisions that we make as a family. He he affects the decisions of how we run and conduct ourselves, how we run our businesses, how we we do everything. It's a Christ-centered life, says, Jesus, because you're the priority in my life, you're going to affect every area of my life. That's what Jeremiah was saying in verse number 24. He said, listen, don't glory and celebrate in your own wisdom. Oh, I've been around or my own strength. Well, listen, look, look what we've done in the past or, or look at the, the wealth that I have and the security that comes with it. And Jeremiah said, listen, what you ought to be looking at is this, who God is. Do you understand him? Do you know him? We find the priority of beholding him leads us to the purpose to behold Him. Jeremiah here shares with us the purpose of beholding Him. Verse 24 gives us a two-fold purpose. It is to understand Him and to know Him. To understand Him, first of all, this means to consider Him. In other words, to know mentally who He is and what He does. It's a mental exercise that you do. Beholding Him is taking into account what He thinks about what is happening in our lives as well as taking into account why he would look at it that way. A mental, a mental exercise saying, hey, what, is, what does God think about what I have hanging on the walls of my home? Young person, about the posters that I put in my walls or what I look for in my cell phone or what I surf on the web? To consider, what does God think of this? That's what it means to behold, to perceive and gaze upon. Hey, what does God say about this? Jeremiah says we need to understand him. He said, Pastor, we can't understand. God is infinite. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. That's not what it means there. That word understand means to get, get in our minds. What does God think? And then think about, why does he think that way? you ever ask yourself, why does God want things done this way? Why can't we just do anything and and let God just try to bless us in those efforts? Many would say, hey, it's all about what you feel anyway. If your heart says to do it, it's okay. Hey, follow your heart. There's a, a philosophy out there that says, listen, as long as your intentions are good, then that's all that matters. And by the way, God is interested in our intentions, but God is also interested in our actions. You see, it's not just about, oh, did I do it sincerely? It's also, did I do it correctly? You can read in the Old Testament, read through the book of Leviticus, and you can say, if you did one of the ceremonial sacrifices sincerely, but in the wrong way, you were still going to die. There was still going to be judgment coming upon you, because it wasn't just merely how sincere you are. But are you doing what God has asked you to do, the way God asked you to do it? So you see, Jeremiah teaches us and says here in this portion, he says of Scripture, we need to understand him, consider him. That's a mental thing. But then, not only to understand him, he says, but to know him. This word means to ascertain by seeing. In other words, to experientially know him. The first one is to mentally know what does God think? Why does God think that way? That's to understand him. But to know him means I start living it out. I start experiencing why God is saying that way. And what are the blessings that come into my life because I'm doing it God's way. See, one is a mental thing, one is a practical thing. And you need both. That's why he says, him that is going to glory, let him glory. in that he understands me, that is the mental. And that he knows me, that is the practical. The everyday living. You see, we find that as we apply this truth in our lives, that you'll know God more as you see God more in your life. As you live out and experience more of what God says and what God commands, you'll start to see God in a different light. In other words, it's real easy to say, you know what, we ought to be faithful to God and it's It's real easy for us to say, yes, I'm going to be faithful to God. But it's something totally different after you've had a long day of work on Saturday to get up at 830 and get ready and be at the service at 930. Right? I mean, it's real easy to say one thing. It's just a little bit more difficult to actually do the other. I thank God for men in this church that they work late hours on Saturday and still get up on Sunday morning and get themselves ready and get their families ready and bring them to church. It's not easy to do. But you know what they figured out? That they're not going to make it in their own wisdom and in their own might and with the paycheck that's coming in their job. They figured out, I need to understand And know God. We find the purpose for beholding Him is to understand Him and to know Him. But this also leads us to the last point this morning, and this is the personal choice to behold Him. You see, to behold God is never a corporate decision. In other words, not a decision we all have to agree upon before it happens. Though many can do it, at the same time, it falls on each person to decide for themselves that they will do so. You see, it is an individual decision. Notice what it says in verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man. It didn't say the wise men. It does not say the people. It didn't say the majority. It says, let not the wise man." glory in this. It's an individual decision that you and I must make that we are going to gaze upon who God is, that we're going to perceive him, that we're going to live according to what he says, that we're going to see God for who he is. See, that is a personal decision. The invitation was given to a single person, the wise man. You see, we all must decide if this is what we will pursue today. We all must decide is, in my life, will I behold the God of the Bible or will I not? Now, can I just say that this begins, first of all, with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot behold God without first coming to him. If you're here this morning and you've never begun a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that is that you have never made a decision... To ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and to be your savior. Let me say, that is the first step in beholding God. It is coming to him and saying, God, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand I don't have the wisdom and I don't have the riches and I don't have the might to do it on my own. Sin has affected every area of my life and everything in my life. And I need someone to save me. You see, Jesus came. 2,000 years ago, to die on a cross and to be resurrected on the third day that we might have victory over sin, that we might have a relationship with God. That's what Romans chapter 5 says. We are one time enemies of God, but now we are children of God. Now we are friends of God. Now we're on the same side as God. But it goes through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It starts with a personal decision to ask Christ to be your Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. That's a personal invitation right there. You see, beholding God is a personal choice. It's an individual decision. But can I also say it's a consequential decision. Like all decisions in life, this decision has consequences. You can choose him and find life, or you can choose not to follow him, not to believe in him. You see, many in Jeremiah's day and Isaiah's day, they decided, oh, that's what Jeremiah's preaching. That's what Isaiah's preaching. Okay, but it ain't for me. Oh, man, that sounds nice. Hey, Jeremiah, you did great preaching that message. Man, it, it, it was just really powerful. You're, you're such a good speaker, Jeremiah. But nothing ever changed in their life. They didn't change their direction. The kings and the governors and the princes of that nation, the leaders of that nation never changed. They didn't like that message. They decided we're going to do it our way. We're not going to walk God's way. We're going to walk our way. We're not going to behold who God is. We're just going to try to add him to the areas of life that we want to add him to. I mean, you know, I sort of like going to the temple. We'll bring God with us when we go. I like some of these ceremonies. A the Passover, man. I see my cousins all the time when we go. Hey, we'll, we'll maybe we'll, we'll keep that. What does it say about God? I, I don't know. I don't even know what the ceremony is about. But we use it as a family gathering. It's great. In today's vernacular, we would say, "Yeah, I go to church on Easter." Any other time? Well, you know, Easter's a really important service. That's when we go. You see, there's consequences to the decisions that we make. Jeremiah found that life beholding God is not only purposeful, but it's also fulfilling. It's also a peaceful life. It wasn't always easy. He found himself in prison many times. He found himself being mocked and scorned, thrown into a miry pit. But Jeremiah wouldn't change his message. Jeremiah wouldn't get his eyes off of of God and start looking at what are the people here saying? Hey, what's the king saying? Hey, what's everybody else doing? He said, I've chosen to glory in this. I need to understand and know God. That's beholding him. That's perceiving him. It's making him the priority in my life. In John 3, 36, Jesus said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There's consequences to the decisions that we make. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, there's a consequence if you don't. The Bible says the wrath of God abides on you. Oh, but, but you can have life. Jesus offered it to anybody whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, there's a choice to be made by every person here. You can either go on this journey of beholding God and drawing closer to Him, or you can decide not to. You either trust and celebrate your wisdom, your might, your riches, and put your focus and perceive and gaze upon those things, Or you can do what Jeremiah said and say, God says to glory in this, that he understands and knows me. This morning, it's your decision. In May of 2001, a man by the name of Eric Weihainmeyer accomplished something that only about 150 people do per year. Eric reached the top of Mount Everest. But the thing that makes this story interesting about Eric is that he achieved this as the first blind person to succeed. You see, he was born with a disease as he was young, and by the time that he was 13 years of age, he lost his sight completely. But rather on focusing what people said he could not do, Eric decided he was going to do something that everyone said he could not do, and he decided he was going to begin to climb Mount Everest, and he accomplished it. You know, this morning we face a choice. We will either allow our gaze beyond the obstacles of our own riches and our own wisdom and our own might, or we will cast our gaze upon God. It would be nice if beholding God meant that everything was going to be good and that everything was going to be easy and that everyone's going to love you. But to understand and to know Him, there's a price. This morning, the question is, will you pay that price? You see, we should not... Expect constant smooth sailing, nor should we allow troubles that arise to convince us to to get our gaze off of God. But we ought to decide today, I'm going to behold him. He's a priority of my life. He's going to be the purpose of my life. He's going to be the choice that I make today with my life. This morning... Will you decide with me that in the next few weeks, we're just going to behold our God? We want to seek to understand Him and to know Him. I pray that God, through the next few messages, will help you to see that you can draw close to God. That you can see Him for who He is and draw close to Him. But that decision needs to be made this morning. Let's pray. Father... Thank you so much for your word and for the message that we find in the life of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Father, a message that truly applies to our day and age. Father, there's so many that are making decisions that are perhaps not the decisions that need to be made. I pray that this morning as we think about the message of what it means to behold our God, that we would decide today that that is what we want to do oh father speak to hearts may we be moldable and willing to follow your spirit where it leads us this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed perhaps you're here and you're saying pastor to be honest you're talking about a personal decision of accepting christ as my savior And, and perhaps this is your third or fourth time perhaps this is your hundredth time being in a service But you can say, Pastor, I've really never made that decision. And this morning, I'd like to make that decision. I'd like to make this first step in beholding God by asking Christ to be my Savior. Would you just pray for me? I'd like for someone to show you how you can know Christ as your personal Savior. Is there anyone like that that would raise their hand? Say, pray for me, Pastor. Then perhaps here this morning, you're a Christian and you're saying, Pastor, I understand what it means to behold God. Would you just pray for me that I'll be faithful these next few weeks and that the Holy Spirit would help me to see God for who he is and to experience God in my life like I never have before. Would you just pray for me? Is there someone like that? Just raise your hand. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Father, this morning, I saw hands, but you saw hearts. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would be with each and every person. My hand was also up. Father, that you would help us to truly glory in the fact that we understand and know you. Oh, Father, I pray that in this journey of beholding our God, that we would not take our gaze off of you for something temporal, for something worldly, for something sinful, for something that really doesn't matter. But help us always to keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, in these next few weeks, draw us closer to you, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen as we stand to our feet quickly we will be dismissed here just one reminder we do have prayer night tomorrow night and that is from 7 to 8 p.m. here in the main uh, sanctuary so if you'd like to be a part of that a wonderful church-wide prayer night tomorrow that is from 7 to 8 the other announcements are there in your bulletin some other activities coming up in the weeks ahead let's pray and we'll be dismissed here at this time father we thank you for your goodness towards us dismiss us with your peace in jesus name we pray amen and amen god bless you have a good week god bless you each and every one of you